You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. And we're going to have a look at chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews. And um, there's some things in life that we need to do from time to time. For instance, cutting your hair. You may have noticed my hair's a bit crazy. That's because I've cut my own hair these days. <laughs> I've had to. I've had to learn during lockdown. But you don't need to cut your hair every day. Uh, there are other things that you do need to do every day. Things like eating. You do need to eat every day. And there are other things in life that we need to do constantly, like breathing. You can't decide to breathe once a day. You won't do too very, very well. When it comes to biblical truths, it's similar. There's some biblical truths that you apply when the situation arises. For instance, baptism. You don't need to get baptized every single day of your Christian walk. Baptism in water, I'm talking about. Uh, You hear about it. You have revelation of it. You respond to the Lord. You get baptized once, and that's how you respond to that truth. But there are some truths that are like breathing. They're like essential truths, I would say. Truths that we live in. And they're things that are so important that we really cannot live the Christian life without them. And today, I want this is such a truth. Entering the Lord's rest is a truth that is absolutely essential. Now, you may think, well, I don't know. I don't know that it is that essential that I live or enter the Lord's rest. But it is a vital truth, and sadly it is also a neglected truth. You'll find, uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, that there is an incredibly long warning uh, for Christians who don't enter the rest of the Lord. In fact, it's a 23-verse warning, all the way from Hebrews 3 verse 7 to Hebrews 4 verse 11. And it's a warning for Christians to make every effort possible to enter the Lord's rest. And you've got to say, well, if there's such a big warning in the Bible, surely it's really important that we make every effort to do this thing. I mean, if if breathing was an effort, I would be saying, hey, make every effort to keep breathing. But breathing is just something automatic in our lives, so we kind of don't really think about it. But living in the Lord's rest is such an essential truth, it's pretty much like breathing. And I want to I consider three questions this morning. Number one is, what is God's rest? Number two, how do we enter it? And number three, when do we enter it? Or when should we enter the Lord's rest? So first of all, what is the Lord's rest? So if you have your Bibles, just turn to Hebrews 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. And I'll just, uh, I'll just do a quick little kind of overview of it. It's a bit of a long passage to read uh, the entire thing. My, my, my Bible is getting to the point where I can hardly read the text it's got so many notes and colors and <laughs> might need a new Bible at some stage. But anyway, so what happens in Hebrews chapter 3 is that there's the start of this warning against unbelief. 
And in verse 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts uh, in the day of, uh, as, the, as the Israelites did in the wilderness. Uh, and then in verse 11, God said that he swore that they won't enter his rest because of unbelief. And then verse 12, Watch out that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deception. So there's this sense of sin hardens us and stops us in some way or other from entering the Lord's rest. But the Lord's rest in this context of the passage is the land, is the promised land. The promised land is called the Lord's rest in this instance. And in, in verse 16 and 17, it says this, And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? So it's the, these are the Israelites, that God has saved from Egypt, and he's leading them into this promised land called the, the Lord's rest. And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? And it says that we see that because of unbelief, they were unable to enter his rest. So the land is called God's rest. And this promised land, when God told them about the land, he said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means if there's honey there, there's bees there. If there's bees there, there's flowers. If there's milk there, there's cattle there. And if there's cattle, there's pasture land for grazing. So I don't know, if you're like me, I kind of thought of Israel as being this wasteland, desert, dry, arid. But a land flowing with milk and honey is not like that. And I've had a look at what's going on in Israel. You watch a few farming videos and that kind of thing. And you realize that Israel has an incredibly diverse uh, topology. They grow all sorts of crops there. Let me just... Let me list some of the crops grown in Israel. Wheat, sunflowers, groundnuts, chickpeas, apples, grapes, peaches, mangoes, plums, pears, apricots, mandarins, oranges, grapefruits, lemons, potatoes, carrots, peppers, avocados, citrus fruit, and the list goes on and on and on. So it's, it's very far from just being a barren wasteland, like a desert. There's... This is a land that can flow in milk and honey because there's such a diversity of terrain. And uh, this is the picture of the provision of God for his people. Remember that in the Old Testament, everything is in type and shadow form. So how, how does God show his people, I'm going to provide for you? Well, he gives them a land that is abundant in all this stuff. A land where they can supply all their needs. They can grow any fruit almost that they want to. They can, they can almost be self-sufficient. In fact, Israel is almost like that today. There's been a, a reclaiming of the land. There's been a, a, since they became a, a state, they've been improving their agriculture, redeveloping the land, rejuvenating the land. And it's an incredible place uh, where there's uh, just... A, Amazing technology going into the whole agriculture side of things. But, and so the rest is the promised land, and it's called the promised land for good reason. Because it's not just like God said, well, 
There's a bit of jungle over here. You're not going to be able to do much with it, but there it is. Or there's this desert over here. Or there's this mountainous land where you can only grow one type of crops. No, he gave them a land of abundance. And it speaks of his provision. Then God's rest is also spoken of in Genesis. So you all know the this, this story where God created the universe, he created the earth, the plants, the animals, all that. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now, he rested because his work was finished. He didn't rest because he was tired. We would be tired after creating the universe, but God rested because it was done. It was complete. The universe, the earth, the animals... The plants, everything, it was a done, a done job. And so God entered his rest. I'd like to say that rather than God rested. Because when we think God rested, when we rest, we rest because we're tired. God entered his rest because the work was done. God doesn't have to keep creating planets. He doesn't have to keep creating new animals. He doesn't have to keep creating trees. God's not going to wake up tomorrow and have a look at his to-do list and go, okay, yesterday a million cows died, 10 million trees died, 1 billion flies died. So I need to get creating and recreate everything that was lost the day before. God put into creation the ability to continue and to be reproducing and to be almost self-sustaining in a way. That all was built into creation. So it's not going to end unless God actually steps in and ends it, which the Bible says he will do. He'll remove the earth and the heavens and create a new one. And then God instituted a day of rest every week for the Israelites, and it's called the Sabbath. The Israelites are not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. And as far as I know, it's something that's been observed since God instituted it. There uh, have been many other com commands that have been broken over the years, but as it looks like the Sabbath has been maintained by them. And while it's a good thing to be resting from your work and taking time to worship and reflect on God, observing the Sabbath is a requirement for Israelites, not for Gentiles. That's pretty important. It seems to be like a movement where Christians are kind of going back into observing Passovers and Sabbaths and all that kind of thing, all the festivals and feasts. Remember that God's dealings with his people in the Old Testament are all type and shadow of what's to come in the New Covenant. Hebrews 3 verse 5 says, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant, Sorry, as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths that we would, that God would reveal later. Moses' work was an illustration of truths that God would reveal later. The tabernacle that he built is modeled on a heavenly tabernacle. That's why God said, You need to build it exactly how I say. It's a type and a pattern of the real thing. Okay? So Christians who go back into observing things like the Sabbath are going back 
into old covenant theology. They're going backwards, not forwards. And they think it's all great and all mystical and all feels good and all this kind of thing. But it's going backwards, not forwards. So the rest of God has to do with the completed work and the provision of God. God's rest is an absolute trust and reliance on God for all the provision that we will ever need in life. When we enter God's rest, we are entering into a place where God is our sole provider. That's being in the rest of God. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. I'll read that. It says, So God set another time for entering His rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So basically, he's saying, Israel, God said, I want you to enter my rest, but they never did. And so why is God saying there's still a time? to enter my rest. If that was the rest, there wouldn't be today. And this is what Hebrews is trying to say. The rest is not that physical land. There's something bigger, something more that it's pointing to. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So when we enter God's rest, we rest from our labors. We rest from trying to provide for ourselves. We rest from trying to make it in our own strength. We rest from all of that, and we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I'm receiving that provision. I'm trusting for that provision. It's not living in our own strength, but it's living in the strength that God gives us. Now, it's not an excuse for laziness, because laziness is a sin. It's not sit down and do nothing because God's done all the work. That's not what I'm saying. It's living totally dependent on God. It's very different to doing nothing. Receiving from God, living in the will of God as He strengthens us, as He provides. God's rest for Christians is not a physical promised land, but we, but we do receive a land of promises in a way. It's the promises of God that we receive as Christians. All the fullness of who God is, all the incredible provision that God makes available he presents to us in promise form. Have a look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 11. It says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature 
and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So here's Peter saying, make every effort to receive the promises. Hebrews is saying, make every effort to enter into God's rest. It's the same thing. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance. Patient endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love for everyone. All of that is from God. None of it is from ourselves. You want self-control? You get it from God. You don't go, oh, I need to exercise self-control. I've got to stop doing this. Or I've got to start doing this. You get it from God. Otherwise, you're not in the rest of God. You're in your own works. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Sounds like a contradiction. Do everything you can to grab a hold of the promises of God and receive them. To prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen because the promises of God are only for the called and for the chosen. They're not for anyone else. They're for family only. (laughs) Dear brothers and sisters, do these things and you will never fall away. What does Hebrews say? If you fail to enter the rest of the Lord, you will fall. You might not lose your salvation, but you will not live in the fullness of what God has for you. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the rest of God. Second question, how do we enter God's rest? Well, we read it in verse 3, 2 Peter 1. We have received all this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. How do we receive the promises of God? Through Jesus Christ. Coming to know Jesus is how we come into this incredible inheritance. We enter God's rest through Christ. Everything we need for life and for godliness comes from Jesus, comes from our relationship with Jesus. I remember uh, hearing someone say that all ministry flows from our relationship with the Lord. And I want to add to that, all of our life flows from our relationship with the Lord. But, but we don't always get it. We think, if I don't spend time with the Lord, I'm okay. If I go months or weeks or years without praying, it's okay. I'm still alive. We've, we've missed this truth of the essential relationship that we have with God. Everything we need for life and godliness comes from this relationship. If we're not in this relationship, all we've got is nothing. Death. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right 
in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God and because, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We are made right. We receive righteousness by faith. Okay? When we are born again, we come into this relationship with God and we have peace with God. It's the most wonderful thing. Part of being in the rest of God is that you're at peace with God. It's not like you're running around trying to avoid lightning bolts while you're in the throne room. You're at peace because you're in relationship. He's your father. You're his child. There's a peace between you and God. And it's a place of rest because we've rested from our works. Salvation is not by works but by faith. When we come to God knowing that we can do nothing to save ourselves, we come believing in the work of Christ, the work that he did on the cross. That's how we enter God's rest. It's by coming and going, God, there's nothing I can do. I'm bankrupt. I'm, I've got nothing to offer you. You've got everything to offer me. That's the deal of a lifetime. And that's how we come to God. That's how we enter the provision that God makes available. It's like we've entered into the promised land. Do you know that when Israel entered into the promised land, when they crossed the Jordan, they started conquering these cities. They moved into houses they didn't build. They, they inherited fields that they never planted. They just had all the stuff laid out for them. And they just walked in and lived and harvested a crop and had all the fullness of the provision of God. And that's what it's like when we come to know God. In those early days, I don't know about you, they, sometimes they call it the honeymoon period. You get saved and it's just like, wow, all this provision from God, all laid on. But then after, after one season of that, Israel had to take the seed from those crops and replant it. There was a kind of a grace period in the beginning. But then God wants us to go on, not just... He doesn't want us to stay like a baby, like a two-month-old. We're a two-month-old. It can't walk. It can't feed itself. It can't do anything. It can't talk. It can't move anywhere. It can't do anything but lie there and be helped. Now, when you come to Christ, that's what you like in the beginning. And there's an abundance of provision. But God wants us to mature. And he wants us to begin to take the seed that he's given and sow it and see a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. That's maturity. But even as we mature, the danger is that we start thinking, hey, I can do this on my own now. I've got the seed. Praise the Lord. Now I can, I'm going to determine how much crop I get. And we start forgetting that all our provision is from the Lord. Christians who live in the rest of God have made God their source and not themselves. Just think of the branch and the vine. It's a wonderful illustration. You read about it in John chapter 15. John 15 says Jesus is the true vine, the Father is the gardener, and we are the branch. The branch can do nothing other outside of the vine. It can't produce fruit. If you remove a branch... It cannot produce fruit without being plugged into the vine. And the one who keeps us plugged in is the Father, not ourselves. It's not the branch hanging on for dear life. 
The father is the gardener. He decides if you stay on the vine or if he breaks you off. It's up to him. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, my word. Don't want to get broken off. <laughs> he loves you. But all the provision comes from the vine. You know what the amazing thing is this? God, in all his infiniteness and all his unlimited provision and everything, and, you know, God is just altogether uh, capable and, you know, he links himself to fragile humans. He, and it's not just a, you know, I'm just going to walk down the road, you know, with you kind of linking. It's such a linking, it's likened to marriage. It's an even closer link than marriage. It's like a branch and a vine. God, in his infiniteness, links himself to us in our weakness. We can't produce fruit without God. We can't unless we get the resources. And the vine can't see fruit produced without a branch. He needs our weakness. Isn't that amazing? He links himself to this weak, fragile human being so that fruit can be produced and God is glorified. That, is, that just blows my mind that God would choose to link himself to us like that. And the branch doesn't strain to produce fruit. When you're in the rest of God, you're not straining. That branch isn't thinking, I need to produce an apple. It just sits there. As long as it's linked into the vine, fruit will happen. That's what happens. As we spend time with God, fruit will take place. I remember when I was newly saved, changes were starting to happen in my life. I wasn't even trying. I used to be the most sarcastic person you'd ever meet. I couldn't say anything without it coming from an angle. You never knew if I was complimenting you or putting you down. <laughs> Sounded like a compliment, but actually it wasn't. That's what I was like. And when I got saved, it just started changing. My language changed. My bad language just went out of me. And no one was coming saying, you need to stop swearing or you need to stop doing this or that. The as I was connected with Jesus, I began to change. And that fruit started happening without me trying to do it. The thing that worries me is that there's so much worldly thinking that's crept into Christianity today. All the self-help teaching. Be a better you. Imagine going to a branch and saying, you, you can be a better branch. Forget about the vine. Forget about all that. You, you look within yourself. Find the good in yourself. And change these things. Change your thinking and change your destiny. <laughs> Christianity says, there's nothing good in me. The only good thing is Christ. <laughs> you see, there's a teaching. I, I, I see this all the time people teaching it, radio stations talking about it, books talking about it. It's like a subtle thing creeping into the church of, hey, you can make some changes. Yes, you need to be dependent on God, blah, 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 but you can do this. You can live your dream. Forget about God's dream for you. 
There's not this teaching of everything. We need to be totally dependent on God. Everything we need is in God, not in me. (laughs) There's a teaching that says, yes, everything you need is from God. But you don't need to ask God for it because you already have it. They take the verse in in 2 Peter 1. God has already given you everything. But he's given it to us in promise form. It's not like God came and gave us a treasure chest. Here you go, Joe. Put it in your boot. Drive off. You've got everything you need as a Christian. Praise God. It's not like that. Look at what happened to the prodigal son. Look how he turned out. He, his father gave him everything. He went off and it wasn't long and he had nothing because we're not designed to live like that. Everything is in the father's house. Stay there. And like the, the older son, every, the father said, everything I have is yours. You're in the fullness of the provision. But he never realized it. And that, old, that older son said, but dad, you never even gave me a goat. You know, now this rebel comes back and you you know, put the fireworks and everything. And the father said to him, hey, everything I have is yours. That's living in the rest of God. But it takes a revelation. (laughs) I get what these guys are trying to say. But the line between fully dependent on God and self-dependence is so fine, it's like a millimeter difference. You can just snap over into cutting yourself off from God and saying, oh my word, I've just got a whole lot of new revelation from God. I don't need God tomorrow. I'll give him a break. I'll live on this for a week. And actually we're dying because we're just not with God. The source of provision never moves from God to us. The branch never grows roots. The branch always stays a branch. The branch always needs to be connected in the vine. It never gets to a place of maturity where it can say, I'm big enough, I've produced enough fruit, I've got enough leaves, I've got the best looking bark in the forest. I don't need the vine anymore. It never gets to that point. It always needs the vine. Last question, when do we enter God's rest? The passage in Hebrews says this, so God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. When should we enter the rest of God? Today, and tomorrow, and the next day, and this second, and next second, and the following second, and this moment, and the next moment. We should live in the rest of God, like breathing. When should you breathe? All the time. When should we live in the provision of God? All the time. And that doesn't mean we we spend all day just praying or worshipping or whatever. But it's understanding that God is in me. He's in us. And He's providing for us even when we don't think He is. He's working in our lives behind the scenes. Do you believe that? Or do you think, oh... I haven't spent time with God for a month and I feel so distant from the Lord. I mean, Jen shared it today. God is with us. He's not far away. He's right there, always wanting to provide for you, always wanting to supply for you. And that's just another proof why the Sabbath is Old Testament, because the Sabbath is not every day. 
It's once a week. That's, that's going backwards. It's all the time. That's the provision. That's the rest that God wants us to live in. The Bible says the just will live by faith. So it says that when we come to Jesus, we are justified by faith. But then later it says the just will live by faith. So coming to Jesus is wonderful, but staying with Jesus is even better. Jesus never just intended us to come to him, get saved, and then go live our lives. He wants us to come to him and stay with him every day. So let, let me just put some questions out there just to challenge you to think, how am I doing? Am I living in the rest of God? Do you spend time with God every day? Do you read the Bible in a way where you expect God to speak to you? If I had to ask you, what is God currently saying to you? What would your answer be? What's he saying to you? What's the last thing he said to you? When was the last time God said something to you? When last did you feel the presence of God? Do you sing to God? How often do you sing to God? How often do you pray? You know, there's no exact answers to these questions. I'm not looking for someone to go, okay, you know, I spend three hours praying. Well, praise God. You could spend three hours praying and have no relationship with God. Only you know how well connected to God you are. But, it's a, but, I, but I feel like God is saying, hey, press in on me. Spend time with me. Make me your source. Be the branch connected to me, receiving my goodness all the time. And stop trying to change yourself in your own strength. Stop trying to make rules for yourself. Don't do this or do this. Just get into God and say, Lord, here I am. I'm poor in spirit. Nothing good lives in me. Only good thing is you. You're the one who's changed my life and you're the one who will continue to change my life. That's living in the rest of God. And it says, make every effort to do this. So set your alarm. Get yourself a Bible you want to read. Get, buy yourself a new Bible with study notes and colorful pictures. And you go, wow, I really want to read my Bible. That's a good thing. <laughs> Listen to things that are going to build your relationship with God. Cut things out of your life that are just a waste of time, that are bringing death in your life. If you're sinning, work it through. Make every effort. Speak to someone. Get healed. Get set free. Don't sit around going, oh, well, I'm struggling in this thing. Well, the Bible says make every effort. This is so important to live in the rest of God that we need to do everything we can within our power. Join a connect group. Get involved. Come to prayer meeting. Come to church. Often when I, when I spend time with the Lord, the Bible says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Sometimes I literally go into my study. I said, here I am, Lord. Here's my body, a living sacrifice. I don't want to be here, but I've just dragged myself here. I've plonked myself on the altar. I'm here. I need you. Just be honest with the Lord. He likes that. <laughs> Sometimes we've just got to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck. And it's not legalism. It's us making every effort to receive from God. Let's stand and we're going to...
close in prayer. I'm just trusting that there's going to be just such a drawing from the Lord right now, that He's going to just stir something within you just to put a desire to be with Him. Just a hunger for Him, a greater hunger for Him. Lord, we come before you this morning. We know that our relationship with you is the most important thing in our lives. We know that uh, you are totally invested in this relationship. You're totally committed to it. You, you want us to thrive. You want us to know you. You want us to walk in all the provision that you've given and made available for us. And I pray that we would, Lord. I pray there'd be a tremendous drawing of your Holy Spirit right now. That there'd be such a hunger in us to be with you that we would make every effort. We would set our alarm clock. We would do whatever it takes. Free up some time. Buy a uh, devotional book or something to stir us in our relationship with you. Get a new Bible or get a reading plan or whatever it takes, Lord. Join a home group, phone a friend, be accountable, get discipled, whatever, Lord. And I pray that there'd be such a hunger within us to be with you, to grow in our walk with you, and to be totally dependent on you, not to rely on our own strength, but to rely fully on you. So we just say, Holy Spirit, come and fill us this morning. Fill us right now. We receive from you more of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. 